am Sarah Ruffi, the woman warrior lawyer. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jason Burgess. Jason, introduce yourself briefly and tell us where you're from. Hi, uh, my name's, as she just said, Jason Burgess. I uh, own Geeks for Guitars. Um, I'm from Mississippi. Uh, born and raised, lived all over the country, but I'm back home in Mississippi now. Well, since you've lived all over the country, it sounds like you've put on a lot of miles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and if you could walk in anyone's shoes, who would you choose? Oh, I'd still walk in mine. I wouldn't change a thing. I love it. Um, I, I don't know if I could feel anyone else's shoes, to be honest with you. <laughs> I have a hard enough time feeling my own. You think anybody else could feel yours? Oh, well, I mean, that's debatable, right? I'm <laughs> sure we could all ask that question to ourselves. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there, but my daughters, both of them tell me, daddy, you've got how many jobs? A thousand jobs? Because I do everything. So I don't know. It'd be a, some pretty big shoes to fill if someone wants to jump into mine. And how old are your daughters? Uh, my oldest, Mallory, is 10. My youngest is seven. And That's they Erica. Have, they must have eyes for their daddy. No, oh, yeah. You do everything, right? Their daddy's girls. Yeah, they know they got me wrapped. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's over. They got me. <laughs> so I'm sorry, I didn't catch the name of your your guitar company. Yeah, it's uh, Geeks for Guitars, actually. Geeks. Geeks for Guitars. I like your logo. Thank you. My wife actually drew that out. It's just a hand-drawn sketch. That's what I went with. It's really cool. Yeah, I and love just random stuff. So uh, I build random guitars. Just I'm out there as far as my, I guess... First degree is fine arts. I guess that should explain a lot. So you'd call yourself a geek? Oh, of course. Yeah, I think we all are to some extent, right? Well, it's all a matter of how you want to define yourself, right? There you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I deep dive into research whenever I'm doing, especially, you know, take guitars. I match tone woods with pickups, with and whatever the client plays music style-wise. I always build according to them and just kind of tailor build a guitar for them. So of course you have to do your research and yeah, I'm kind of a geek when it comes to that. So are your guitars all custom made for a particular, are they made to order or do you have guitars that you're making and then just put it out there that they're available? Yes. Both? <laughs> Both. Um, yeah, built to, built to order mostly. Um, however, I built a lot of them on my own, um, just the way I want to do them to get certain sounds, certain tones out of them. And then uh, I'll sell them to folks that I know or uh, like right now I've got three custom builds going for uh, three different clients and they specifically ordered different guitars and same thing. We just went over, you know, what tone they're trying to get out of it, what kind of music style they play mostly. And then I try and get tailored in for their, their style. So the guitar is just like a, a perfect fit for that person. So that's how I like to operate. And it's, it's really nice being able to do that for folks when they get them and they plug them in and they, you know, my validation is when I get that phone call or a FaceTime video or something, and as soon as I get the guitar and they crank it up for the first time, they're just wanting to message out to me and say, look, this is fantastic. You, you nailed it. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, so far it's been the case every time. So it's really awesome. That's amazing. How did you learn how to build guitars? Well, that's a loaded question. Actually, I was uh, challenged by my father-in-law. He... Um, he asked me if I'd ever built a guitar. I was in 
just outside of Denver, Colorado and gunsmithing college of all things. And uh, that's where I met my wife was in Lakewood, Colorado. And uh, yeah, we got to know each other and he was looking at some of the rifle stocks that I was building. And uh, he's like, man, you do really nice woodwork. I was like, well, thanks, man. I've always done woodwork. And uh, he's like, you ever built a guitar? I was like, no, but if you give me specs, I can do it, you know? So uh, that's kind of how that came to be. It was more of a challenge than anything. And we started off like he got me back into guitar for about 13 years. I didn't even own a guitar. And, uh, you know, through getting up with him, meeting my wife, meeting him, I slowly got back into it. And this all came a little after I graduated gunsmithing school, but, you know, giving you a crash course in it. That's how it started. He asked me inevitably, hey, can you build a guitar? And that's how it came. So I started modifying guitars first, uh, like most tinkerers. And then after that, I was like, all right, well, I can't find anything I don't already own. I've got just a massive collection of collectibles. And uh, at some point you're like, well, I want a, I don't know, one piece quilted maple body guitar. Well, nobody makes that. So I made my own and it's gorgeous. It's, uh, this guy right here. That is gorgeous. That's one solid piece of quilted maple which is just something you can't get. And if you did, let's say, you know, Fender Custom Shop, for example, if you ordered it from them, if they would even build you something like that, it'd be $10,000 or more. So I just built it myself. That's how so, it all started. So your future father-in-law at that point, yes. was he into music and guitars and wanted you to make one for him? Or oh, my God. He just yeah, he, decided uh, you should do that because you're good at making guns. And the, it, the I say it was a challenge. I think he was testing my ability. Um, it was just to see if I could build one. And uh, of course, challenge accepted, right? You have to be that way. At least that's how my mind works. So. Well, why not? Yeah, it worked out. And uh, no, I built my first one and it was, it was for me. Um, however, yes, he is in the music big time. He's a, one of the best lead guitarists I've ever heard. I mean, he's so nonchalant about it, though. Like, he, if he's in public, he, he doesn't want to play around anyone, but you get him off by himself, and you'll swear to God you're listening to whatever song he's playing on the radio. Like, he's just really good at it. So, yeah, he's kind of a, a closet lead player. Um, however, he's got more guitars and more pedals than, than I do. That's saying something. I was going to say, is this kind of a battle of who's going to have the biggest collection of guitars and pedals and guitar stuff? No, see, I don't look at it as a battle. I, I look at it as a partnership because whatever I don't have, he has. And <laughs> whatever he does, he has, you know, it kind of works well. We can trade off. And Except uh, he's in Colorado or there? No, he's actually here in Mississippi now. Uh, my wife is his only child. So, and my two kids are obviously his only two grandchildren. So, oh, so he moved to the grandkids and the daughter. He did. Yeah. The heck with me. He came down here for the wife and kids. Well, you're just along for the ride and you give entire stuff. Yeah, of course. So how did you get into woodworking? Um, just doing construction, honestly. When I was a kid, I was 16, almost 17, I got emancipated. And uh, my wife got, re or my mom, sorry, got remarried and moved up to uh, North Mississippi up in the Delta. And there's nothing up there. I mean, they had a stop sign. That was it. <laughs> so uh, I dropped out of school in ninth grade and um, got emancipated. Um, yeah, as far as childhood goes, I wasn't the best student. Unless I was interested in whatever it was I was going over, 
I didn't do it to the best of my ability. And well, uh, I whenever got I was four of them like that, I'm sorry. I got four of them like that. Yeah, I mean that's how my mind works. I'm very kind of, you know, I deep dive into whatever I'm interested in, and always have been that way. Uh, did great with math. Did excellent with science. Things like that. But if it was something that I just did not want to do, I struggled in school with it. And uh, I, we were talking. I was talking to Tony earlier, and uh, he was asking me about my influences in life. And one of them is my seventh grade teacher. Um, Mr. Adams, David Adams. I still talk to him. I just texted him last week to check up on him. Um, he's kind of the one that gave me that kick in the butt to, uh, to want to do better. And uh, that year I made AB honor roll. Next year I made AB honor roll. And then of course things happened. Mom got remarried, moved off. So uh, I've been out on my own ever since. And uh, I think everything kind of happens for a reason. I don't think I'd be me if that didn't happen. So you asked me about walking in someone else's shoes. I'd rather just be in mine, honestly. Well, all of our circumstances and, and everything that happens to us forms who we are. And we oh, have the opportunity to decide what meaning we're going to give to it. And if we're going to let it build us up or try to control us. Oh, absolutely. What we're going to do. Well, so if you're smart, you learn from it. There are no failures, they're just learning opportunities, right? Exactly right. So Mr. Adams, right? Your seventh yes. grade teacher was Mr. Adams. Once your mom moved up to the Delta, was he a mentor for you, like through the, the rest of your teen years and even going I mean, past that? Off and on, it was more of a, I don't even think he realized the impact that he had on me um, at that time in life anyway. Um, I would touch base with him from time to time just to let him know how I was doing. Uh, he's just that type of guy that I could call him up right now and doesn't matter what he's doing. He'd take five, 10 minutes and just talk with me. And uh, no, it was more just knowing that how he was. He's this big old burly Marine, you know, ex-Marine and once a Marine, always a Marine. So I say Marine, um, just, a, just a sweetheart of a guy though. And uh, anything you'd ever need, he'd be there for you. And uh, I don't know. It's just the influence that I needed in my life at that time. So it kind of, I don't, again, don't necessarily know that he realizes to what extent he actually played that part in my life when I was that young. Um, you know, I had an apartment at 16 years old, had to get all the electricity in my name, which is why I had to get emancipated. So I could put all my bills in my name and get power turned on and stuff like that. So, I mean, you kind of, you either grow up quick at that point or you slack off. You know, I mean, I've still got acquaintances. I won't call them friends anymore, but acquaintances that are still sleeping on their mother's couch and they're, you know, 38, 39 years old, never really did anything. So it's either you fall into that category or you say, okay, well, these are the cards that I'm dealt and you progress in life. And you know, at the time, you're, I was doing apartment maintenance, you know, making know, 10 bucks an hour, probably, if I remember right. And uh, my older brother was in the apartment with me. We both split rent and everything. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I learned a lot of my construction background from doing that. So just burn units, you know, big apartment complexes that burn down, but not completely would go in and refab them. Oh, what and, a, uh, that's a terrible job. Oh, it was horrible. But I mean, it paid the bills. So that's kind of like you were talking about, that's the building blocks for life, right? You, you start somewhere and then move up. Well, and you learn uh, some great skills doing that because I've 
I've gotten that pleasure of cleaning up after fires and trying to figure out what's salvageable and not. Oh yeah. Because my parents had um, fires, two different fires in the same apartment building, like 20 years apart. But so we got to go through and you learn a lot about insurance, but you also learn a lot about cleaning up and just the, the dirt, but also how to look at what was beyond repair. Oh, absolutely. And then you get to, to watch it as it comes back to life, if you will. Yeah, it was a, it was a messy job. We'll put it that way. Fire department doesn't care what they spray. So when you come in after that, it's just essentially you're going back down to studs, which in most cases half the studs are gone anyway, if it's a burn unit. So yeah, you just rebuild and go back. But yeah, I did that for years. And then um, I was telling Tony also, I got into teaching Taekwondo for years. Um, I studied martial arts for a long time. So kind of did that while doing construction because I don't know if you're familiar with martial arts, but it, they're not very long classes. So uh, my full-time job doing that only took up about eight hours a week. So it left me plenty of time to do side work doing um, construction projects. So, it so was, uh, what degree black belt are you? I'm assuming you're a black belt if you taught for years. I did. I got up to first degree and just stopped. I did not want to progress. I got up to where I could just get people to their black belt and that was it. Uh, my heart wasn't in it as far as that goes. I was helping out my instructor more than anything, just assistant teaching, basically. And uh, again, I did that off and on, so full-time if you want to consider that. But it was it was my way to just stay in it and stay in shape and more than anything, help him out along the way. Um, it was fun. It was a good learning experience. It was, you know, teaches you a lot of good life lessons, mm -hmm. um, teaches you how to keep calm, obviously, and, uh, and how to protect yourself. But I had no intent on sticking it out and making a career out of it like he did. That was that was not where my passion lied. So yeah, it was, it was just a fun little stint in my life to to go through. I guess again, building blocks, right? All these little things build up, and make you who you are. Exactly. So uh, no, I still keep in touch with him though. He's a great guy. Um, he's still teaching Taekwondo to this day. I think that's one of those things because one of my guests is a, he's also a Taekwondo instructor as his own gym and he's a sixth degree Dan. Oh yeah. He's, he's up there. He's up there. I mean, his kids started doing Taekwondo, I think before they could even walk. So both of his kids are black belts. His wife's a black belt. <laughs> like, where's, where's he based out of? Wassa. So central Wisconsin. Okay. Um, so I like how you said you you got your black belt and you taught more to help out your instructor. So I look at you as almost, would you describe yourself as a servant leader that I'm here to serve and, and how can I help? I mean, to some degree, yeah. I always try and help out anytime I can. I mean, that's just my personality personally. I mean, I'm, I assume most people try and help when they can. And uh, for me, it was mutually beneficial, though. It was I'm getting the joy of helping these guys, you know, come up in the ranks. And I actually took pride in what I did. And I got to learn from a really good instructor that, to his credit, kept trying to push me to go up and up and up. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm OK right here. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. And, uh, and I had to explain to him several times, you know, it's hard when you're in that mindset, like your six degree friend. I mean, that's their. Oh, you froze up on me. Life. For me, it was just a, 
yeah and and for me it was more of a i loved it don't get me wrong still love it but um i knew it wasn't going to be a career path for me so I, I was happy where i was didn't want to go any further with it just really enjoyed helping him out and uh yeah it was, it was really fun to do but yeah i guess i would be considered that i mean i i guess you would like to help folks anytime you could right absolutely so yeah i'd be okay saying that okay now how did you end up you were working construction in mississippi mm -hmm. teaching taekwondo how do you end up in colorado in gunsmithing school <laughs> well my younger brother and i went and took the asbab together we were both going to go into the military um i passed with a great score and could have done anything i needed to but i just had neck surgery so the MEPS docs were like nope two years before we'll take you see if you got permanent nerve damage and to their credit i couldn't feel the left side of my face for about a year and a half oh so uh yeah they severed a few nerves that finally or did something to them but I could finally feel it after about a year and a half, almost two years. But I mean, this still worked. And that's what I was telling them. I was like, still good. Still got but, the trigger finger. Yeah, they, they didn't care. And I wanted to learn how to work on weapons. That was what I wanted to do uh, just for myself. And as you know, growing up in the country, you go out and you shoot 22s your whole life. And you know what I was just old country boy. So um, ended up. My younger brother went in, served two tours, um, stayed in for six years, and then ETSed out of the U.S. Army. And um, I ended up paying for my own college to go to gunsmithing school, which is what I wanted to be an armorer in the military, and then have them pay for my education when I got out. And uh, I just skipped the, the military step because I didn't have a choice at that point. So I ended up going to uh, Lakewood, Colorado, Colorado School of Trades. And, uh, it's a two-year degree neck down to 14 months and it's 32 hours a week so it's like full-time full job yeah and uh it was funny you have a waiting list to get into that college you have to write a little essay as to why you want to go and they have to accept you of course they run your background and all that because it is a gunsmithing school you're working on firearms so after all that was done it was like a six-month wait uh so i'm like all right i can do some awesome side jobs save up a lot of money and go up there and just focus on school for about six months or so before I have to worry about getting a job because I'll pay all my bills up front. Well, about three weeks after I got accepted, they were like, hey, we just had a cancellation. So in another week, <laughs> you're do you want to take this spot? So literally in one month's time, I went from, okay, I have six months to no, three weeks, I waited. And then a week later, there was a spot. So basically in a, in a month, I came up with enough money to pay all my bills three months in advance. And I moved up there not knowing anything. Like I set my apartment up over the phone, never had been to Colorado before. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, I'm from the South, 13 miles from the school is nothing. Oh boy. Yeah. So I lived in Denver, went to school in Lakewood. You know anything about that area? You cut down. On that 13 high. miles goes a long way. I went right by Bronco Stadium, right down the heart of Denver to get to school. So yeah, it was... Uh, I learned real quick that's a long 13 miles, but I ended up living up there off and on for about six years. Um, it was great. I met my wife up there, um, which we were talking about earlier. And um, yeah, it was, it was good times and I enjoyed it a lot. It was awesome. So after getting your gunsmithing degree, did you actually um, pursue gunsmithing? Yeah. 
I did not. No, that's something I wanted to do just for myself. Um, again, it was, I had thoughts of getting into it um, full time. And then I quickly realized like most gunsmiths that it's, uh, it's really hard to stay in business. I mean, you've got, at least down here in the South, there's a lot of competition. There's some awesome gunsmiths down here that are well-established. And uh, to their credit, I could have gone and probably work with them in their shops. But the way my mind works, it's like, well, I don't own the shop. I'm not going to do it. I'd rather own my business and work for myself. You sound a little stubborn. Oh, I'm very stubborn. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I have no problem admitting that at all. I mean, most folks are. Yeah, I call it driven more than stubborn, though. I mean, if you could go and work for a law firm, you're a lawyer, or you could own your own law firm, which would you rather do? You know? Oh, wait. Worked for one, almost got divorced, and decided I wasn't going to another one that I didn't own. Perfect example right yeah. there. And you'd rather be the man than work for the man. It kind of works that way. Yeah, I mean, that's the best way to do it. And I use the man, generally speaking, woman, oh, whatever. I don't take offense. I don't take yeah. offense. Yeah, All I, mean, I know is I don't play well in other people's sandboxes. So exactly I might as well right. have my own. And, and honestly, you, you've got a lot of, in gunsmithing especially, you've got a lot of type A personalities. And I'm very much not a type A personality. I mean, I'm not that way. Like, they're, it's their way or the highway type of people. And I don't do well with that because I'm way more of a go-with-the-flow type of guy. So yeah, if you're in their shop. Wouldn't that be your way too? I'm sorry? Wouldn't that be your way then? No, I mean, honestly, if somebody's got a better idea than me, I'll embrace it. Whereas most of the people that I've worked around in gunsmithing, they're like, it's my way or the highway. Oh, okay. And, uh, so it's my way. I'm the only way. I am the man. And you're exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and to their credit, again, that's how, if that's how they want to run their shop. Go for it. That's fantastic. It's your shop. You can do that. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't play well that way. So I just stayed out of it. And I, I just do stuff for myself and, immediate family just you know tinker and mate basically these days but uh that's inevitably how i got into building guitars like we were talking about earlier so yeah that was uh it's really weird how things work in life and what gets you to the spot that you're in now and yeah it's uh it's crazy how it all worked out to be honest looking back on it it's really crazy well it's those forks in the road like robert oh, God, yeah. talked about right are you that's gonna it. go straight or are you gonna take this little curve that's it. There was a, oh God, I'm, I, I wrote a quote for a football game of all things years ago. And it's, what is it? Uh, While searching for the path to success, there's a crossroad we all come to. What makes us who we are and who we want to be are the sacrifices we're willing to make to walk the right path. And uh, that's that stuck awesome. with me. Thank you. That's, that's stuck with me over the years. And uh, actually it was my, my cousin, he was going to play a football game and they were down in their luck. They hadn't won any games I don't think that year at all and he wanted something to kind of be a little motivational something for his guys so I typed that up real quick off my head he posted in the locker room and they won that game he was like man this is awesome I was like I don't know if it had anything to do with that but that's just how my mind works and uh so yeah I remember that quote really well because it was for a purpose right it was to help people and uh but as some I've, I've lived my life that way all throughout so it's just life for me i mean it's not it's a quote yes but if you live your life that way and you realize like you said there's always forks in the road and you never know where you're going to go and you can't be afraid to take a certain one or go off the beaten path and i don't think i've been on a beaten path in years because i'm way 
right you're now. busy making your own aren't you yeah i mean you, you kind of have to right to, to progress in life where you go with the flow and you just do what everybody else does and i'm more of a chance taker i guess a risk taker so yeah when you kind of win some and you lose some doing that though you gotta be real careful <laughs> so what's one of the biggest risks that you've taken that's paid off um well when i got into the oil industry um I was in retail management for a while. That's a whole nother story. Um, I'll tell that real quick. Um, I'll make a long story really long, I guess. Uh, the way I met oh, my good. wife, I was in a gunsmithing college in Lakewood and uh, told you I paid my bills three months in advance. Well, the first month I was in school, I focused solely on school. After that, I realized real quick, which I already knew I'd have to do, I'd have to get a job. And uh, so about three blocks away from the gunsmithing college, there was a uh, Home Depot. And I went up there on my lunch break from school one day, met the uh, store manager, shook his hand, whole nine yards, are you hiring? Um, they said no, but fill out an online application. Sure. Went back the next day, filled out my online application that night, shook his hand again, are you hiring? That went on for about two and a half weeks until they realized I was not going to stop coming in every day. So they hired me in January, mid-January in Denver, Colorado for outside garden, which was just snow. <laughs> so they uh to be driven that hard they were i guess they knew i just wasn't going to stop and i explained you know from day one hey i've got two months before i have to pay bills again i've got a little studio apartment that's like 500 square feet i just need enough to get by and uh yeah they hired me on and i ended up moving up the ranks after i graduated with them and stayed in retail management for a while and then um just wanted to try something different and uh i guess the money for the oil industry um, really spoke to me. I wanted a better life for my wife and kids and our kid at the time. And uh, yeah, I went out there chasing that. Started as a roustabout, went to Roughneck, and then I uh, started my own logistics company. And uh, from there, it just, I did that for about the last nine years until this last August. Um, running logistics on an oil field platform is pretty intense. I mean, you've got it's like playing chess all day, every day. Um, I'm the only me out there. So I get, I order all the helicopter flights, um, line out the helicopters, wherever they need to go. Um, people back and forth, um, manifest for boats. I get all the groceries out there. I do all the typing up the reports that go straight to Houston every day, um, for the 24 hour period of what we got done on location and 24 hour forecast of what they need to see that we're going to be doing the next day so they can plan. Um, yeah, it's a lot of thinking way ahead, you know. I mean, think about it. If you've got a 10-hour a boat ride one way from the dock and you've got to truck everything to the dock and you get groceries that are only good if you pack them in dry ice for 48 hours, you got to really think about when everything's going to land. you got to look at the weather forecast, see what the sea conditions are going to be. It's There's a lot that goes into it, and uh, I enjoyed it. Like, I love stuff like that. It just makes my brain work. Sounds like a huge so, puzzle with a lot of moving parts. Oh, it's fantastic, though. I mean, once you get into it, it's like, I mean, you're really just, it's just a bunch of thinking. So to get paid what I was getting paid, just have to think. I didn't have to lift anything heavy anymore, except me. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so you were out on a on a rig in the, in the Gulf, then, I'm assuming. Multiple rigs, multiple platforms, lift boats, wherever they needed me. And... So did did you actually stay, you stayed out on the rigs then? I did, yeah. 
And so, would you be on like seven days on, seven days off, or <laughs> did you basically live there? Well, yeah, I was uh, I was contract. I, I didn't work for a company. Again, I like to own my own. So you I worked for yourself, which means you were there. When they right? called like, me and said they needed somebody, I would go. Um, my longest stint was 68 days straight um, without coming to the beach at all. So not too bad. Um, not great either. But yeah, I mean, I tried to stay on a rotation if I could. If I could get someone else that did what I did, we would alternate. If it was a big project that was going to go on for months, then we would try and do a two-week on, two-week off, or a three-week on, three-week off, whatever worked best for each other. You know, each of us that were doing what we do. Again, we were the only us on location. So I couldn't leave until I had relief if it was a big project. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't get anything done. You know, nobody's there to ship the hazardous waste or whatever you have to do special paperwork for that and uh yeah it's you can't leave you're stuck i mean barring anything that's just major medical at the house you can't go anywhere and even then you still got to do it from the house pretty much if they right. need you well i know but, I, my brother-in-law is kind of like you he's the middleman but he doesn't do it out in the water he does it on land Oh yeah, And it's his job to make sure that the rigs are continuously running. And when it's time to move to a new location, he has a very tight window in which to knock it down, load it up, move and it, it and put it back up and get it operational. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to a new lease. They want to get production as quick as they can. Yep. I yep. think he's, it's like 48 hours he has to have that rig not in operation. Something just crazy yeah i've never worked land um they were way more lackadaisical on land with drug tests and uh i figured if i'm out there with people that are that have my life in their hands i want to be in I the most strenuous <laughs> place possible so <laughs> i always just worked offshore and uh i felt like it was a little safer environment even though you're out i mean it's essentially alcatraz if you think about it you're just stuck I mean, you get bad weather out there, you're stuck. You can't go anywhere. If it's yeah. bad enough, you can't fly. I mean, even Coast Guard can't get to you in some cases. So you're just there and hoping for the best. Um, but yeah, we always were really safe. Never had any real big issues to worry about on any of the platforms or rigs that I was on. We had a couple little minor hiccups, but out there, a minor hiccup turns into a major one real quick if you don't get on it. But Yeah, it can be pretty scary in short order, I would think. Oh yeah, it was pretty, it was again, just building blocks with life though. I mean, I got to see a lot of things people just don't ever get to see and don't realize how awesome it is. That industry, I mean, where wherever you fall on that in your own mind, just how awesome it is, the stuff that we can do. It's, it's amazing to see it. I, I would not have realized unless I was in it, how in depth it goes into that whole industry. It's just, it's awesome to watch. Like I watched a spool of a flow line that was, I think it was 10 inch diameter. It was a 28 mile spool on the back of a ginormous boat. I mean, imagine a, a solid spool of 10 inch pipe that goes for 28 miles. That's huge. Massive. I've got some pictures of it. It's the, the largest spool I've ever seen in my life. My and, question uh, would be, how do they manufacture that and get it onto that boat? I didn't it get to see been that manufactured part. right by the dock. Or oh, something. yeah. Yeah. They, they have a facility right An there. Extruder at, there. Yeah. So uh, wherever it was done, I'm not sure where it was actually 
built, but yeah, it was a, uh, that flow line was massive. And to be able to watch that kind of stuff and then watch the divers come and get underwater and weld everything up to the platform and, and make it all connect. I mean, it was, it's incredible to see what we can do. So, I mean, I really enjoyed that side of being out there, getting to see stuff that most folks have zero idea about and we'll never know. So yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. That is really cool. Yeah, I thought so. So I, I like your story about your persistence and going to the Home Depot. Do you, have you ever listened to Les Brown? I have not. Because he has a very similar story, but whoever he was working with was not nearly as, I'm trying to think of the word, tenacious well he wanted to get into a radio station and he showed up there every day asking if they were hiring and the the director or whatever of the radio station was like no and then the next day les showed up again and les was greeted with weren't you here yesterday I was, but I didn't know maybe somebody got sick or somebody quit. Nope, we're not hiring. And the next day, I think it only took like four or five days. And the response was, go get me a cup of coffee. There you go. Yes, sir. Mr. Whatever his name was. So persistence certainly pays off, doesn't it? It does. Well, I mean, it, in, in my case, especially, it was out of desperation. I mean, I'm in a, a town 1,250 miles from my hometown, don't know anybody. And smart enough to pay my bills up front, but knowing I have more coming, I mean, yeah, it was sheer desperation. And they could see it in my eyes, I'm sure. I wasn't going to stop until they let me sweep the floor or something and give me some money because I had to. You know, that's all there was to it. So, well, plus your construction experience would have helped and qualify that did, you for the job. That did play a factor. Yeah, even before I graduated, um, college up there they wanted me to be a department supervisor it didn't take them long to realize that I was hungry and more than just needing a job type of way you know um, just wanted to succeed in life period and they knew that about me so yeah you're right the uh, the construction background definitely helped and as soon as I graduated and had open availability with hours I went straight to department supervisor and then just kept climbing the ranks from there so yeah it was a uh, it was a good little time in life, I guess. Um, retail management's not for me. Uh, I enjoyed it. I love people. So it wasn't that. It was just that whole corporate mindset. And, uh, you know, I never freaked out when corporate came from Atlanta. However, everybody else in the building was just like going nuts. And when they'd show up, I'd be like, hey, how you doing? They're just people, you know? It's like, if you do what you're supposed to do in this store, this is what I always told my people in my departments, you know, if you keep it what they consider grand opening ready every day. When you close down, just sweep up, make sure everything's stacked nice, whatever the case may be, front face all your stuff. You're good. You could open up the next morning. They could spot show up and at least your department's good. You don't have to worry about it. And I guess people just freaked out when they heard the word corporate. Oh, corporate's coming. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, they put their pants on the same way I do, hopefully. Well, you sound like me because I know when I was first practicing law, um, one of our clients was 
a very successful businessman and he would come in wearing his blue jeans, his flannel shirt and his work boots. That's what I'm talking about. But when we knew he was coming in, everybody in the office would get all jittery and Mr. So-and-so was coming in and I'm like, who cares? Yeah. Oh, but he's coming. I'm like, and? Are you doing something you need to worry about? The issue I mean, that is? Yeah, exactly. So he'd walk in and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And I'd go about my business. There you go. But it just kind of goes to show you, though, how different people react to what they perceive as somebody who's above them or, oh, yeah, you know, more important or more prestigious. See, that's where the stubbornness comes in. Well, maybe we both have that same sub stubborn yeah. streak. Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, well, nobody's really above me. I think we're all just kind of equal in this whole thing we call life. And um, uh, yeah, he's in a different position. We all come in the same way. We all go out. Exactly. Nobody's exempt from that. That's it. I mean, they all started the same way, right? So, I mean, as long as you're a people person, I feel like you can talk to anybody. It doesn't matter if it's a CEO of a company. And I've talked to many CEOs of big companies. Trust me. If you do right by people and you're just a nice person overall and you try and just understand everybody's just normal. I mean, they're just people. There's no, you don't put them on this big pedestal and you're okay. If you do that mentally, you're checked out already. I mean, you're, you're putting yourself down here and them up there. I just, everybody's right here with me. doesn't matter who you are. So, so do you have, you came up with that quote, which I look at that as a, a really powerful affirmation. What do you tell yourself every day? Do you have a, something that you've come up with in your own little this is how it's, I'm going to start my day it's crazy actually um now having my daughters and being home with them now and my wife it's uh every day I honestly wake up I don't necessarily tell myself this or that it's just a it's it makes you have more drive at least right now especially I'm in a really weird spot you know I went from 200 plus thousand a year job to oil field is just tanking right now, especially with what I do, um, to taking this ginormous leap of faith into to building guitars full time. I mean, I was already doing it. It's just when you're gone two thirds of the year, it's you don't have a lot of time. And when you're home, obviously, first and foremost, I took time to spend with the wife and kids. And then I wouldn't start building a guitar until they were in bed. So I'd be up all night, you know, all hours of the night building guitars. And then it's like, well, might be home a week, week and a half and got to go right back out for God knows how long. So it just took so long. Well, now it's like I'm deep diving into this. I'm able to get in my shop and bust out some killer guitars. And every day I pretty much just wake up hoping that I keep that same drive that I've always had to, to pursue this new career path and uh, and hoping like crazy that it just takes off like I see it in my mind. And I, I feel like it will. Um, I'm getting some custom orders in now, which uh, I don't build cheap guitars. Um, I build very nice, expensive guitars. And uh, I feel like I, I need to do that to set myself apart. It's stuff that I just dreamed about coming up, you know, playing. It's like, wow, you know, certain woods that you couldn't get or certain just overall designs that I wanted and couldn't find on the shelf. So that's the kind of stuff that I build for folks. 
and uh, it's actually worked out really well so far. Um, I feel like it's going to climb by leaps and bounds pretty soon. Um, I've been contacted by several people that are uh, interested, we'll say, in my company. And uh, I can't go into too much detail right now, but it looks like it's going to be a really nice little collaboration, partnership, whatever you want to call it, um, very soon. So, you know, if all goes well, I think it's it was a leap worth taking. Um, again, we're at that crossroad and I took that path and we'll see where we land, right? Absolutely. So I'm looking at the guitars in the back hanging on the wall. Mm -hmm. And those are all ones that you made. Yes. That's like part of your private collection, right? Yeah, those are uh, prototypes, um, different models. The one furthest over here is one I just modified. It's just one of my favorite players. I have it hanging up, but all these here are custom built, yes. And when you built them using your your woodworking and, and your gunsmithing, did you start with just a chunk of wood for the body and you you designed it and cut it out and and everything? I did, like I was showing you earlier. This is a my teardrop series. In fact, I'll grab I named him Bruce. Bruce was my very first teardrop model. <laughs> this was this is my prototype, my very first one I ever built. That's one solid piece of black walnut. Now in this model, the very first one I ever built. Okay. In my teardrop model. I've built many, many before this, but this That's is my beautiful. latest. Thank you. Again, I call it the teardrop model because everything just kind of tucks around inside. And if you look at it, you can strum it like an acoustic. Nothing sticks out. Everything is below deck inside my teardrop. So I designed that to just be a really awesome way to strum without hitting anything yet everything is right where you need it to be it's a very familiar placement of the knob pick up your know, selector switch and all that but it's just in a different location yet the same location if that makes any sense it's not sticking straight up out of the guitar yet it's pretty much in the same spot everybody's used to so, so it, did you come up with the teardrop design or I don't know nearly as much about guitar as I did. I actually I designed it so that, I mean, it just flows so well with this body shape anyway, but it actually works perfectly for the layout where I needed the electronics controls to be. So it actually just kind of came to be um, by happenstance for, I wanted a cool shape. Teardrop popped in my mind. I laid it out a couple of different ways. In fact, my buddy Seth Maynard, um, really good friend of mine, was there when I was laying it out that night. I had the teardrop this way, I had it that way when I was doing my prototype. I had it drawn on paper, but to take it from paper and do a prototype build, you know, you have to kind of lay the stencil out, and try different ways. And uh, we finally we put it on like this, and I was like, man, that's it right there. Hold. He held the stencil down. I drew it out with a pencil. Boom. That's how we came up with it. So. It has it a nice work out. and it flows. It does actually. I really love how it does. And I've, I've since progressed. And uh, again, this was the prototype, and I got it pretty right on the first one. This, I mean, this is an amazing guitar. And uh, I'll show you the one that Tony with Warp Core obviously made me some really awesome pickups. And uh, this is my latest one here. Now I built this as a demo guitar to send to all kinds of people over the country and let them try it out. 
Now this is a thin line version. I'm not sure if you know what that means, but this whole side is hollow. And okay. that's the F hole. So like on an acoustic guitar, you have the hole where the sound comes out. Yep, this is yep. the sound port right there, the F hole. And it's right. a, a thin line teardrop. So now I'm gonna ask a geeky question. Sure. And it's yeah. One that has always amazed me. What's that? That started out as one solid piece of wood, right? For the body of the guitar. Uh, the body is one piece. That's black walnut. The cap is one piece canary wood, and it's split oh, right okay. there. That's how you got it hollowed out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. You hollow the underside of the cap and the top side of the body, and you glue it, clamp it, and then you cut it out. Okay. And you do a lot of shape, and all these are shaped by hand. So all this contour here, the contour here, contour here, all that is shaped by hand. So it's kind of a I don't know. You get kind of attached to every build. Kind of sad to see them go, but. And do you give them all? Them. Do you give them all names? Sometimes. <laughs> or is it just the ones that you keep get named? Um, mine, I definitely name. I usually leave the ones that are getting sent out for whatever client, or I leave that name blank so they can name it themselves. Oh, us guitar collectors and players are kind of, oh, we're all geeks, right? To some degree or another. So. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call you geeks. I'd call you aficionados. Yeah, well, I use that term very jokingly, which is I why know. I named my company Geeks for Guitars. It's like, to me, I just embrace all things guitar related. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was a really quirky, cool name. It fit my personality. And uh, I don't know I think people like it. I think it's a cool name. I'm not going to change it. I've been asked um, if I was going to change the name of my company or, you know, if I go mainstream with it, it's like, no, I'm not going to change it. I'm good. I like it. So for your guitar line, do you have a, a name for them as well? That is my teardrop series. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, that's they the don't flagship. all look like teardrops though. They do not. No, they're, uh, I have some older models here that I was doing long before. Um, now, these would all be just custom order, but this is a full semi-hollow. Uh, Mediterranean olive wood, which I had never seen an olive wood guitar, so back to kind of the why not type mentality. Where do I've you never find seen that one. kind of wood? I'm sorry? I've never heard of it. Where do you find your wood? Uh, there's actually a rare wood provider here locally in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, that they had some of this. And it, Man, it was expensive. This one piece that was big enough to do this was like $750. I mean, it was still live edge. I mean, it still had bark on it and all. And, uh, but I loved the pattern, the grain on it. And I was like, well, I've never seen an olive wood guitar. Why not build one? So that's what I did. I bought the blank and uh, I didn't realize how bad olive wood splits. It's one of those woods that you, unless you've done it, mess with it, you don't realize. But as it dries out even further, it was already kiln dried. So it was put in a kiln, dried. You know, the moisture content was below 8%. But as it dries even more when you're working it, it likes to crack on you. So I chased that thing the whole time it was being built. It was just trying to crack and run. And, you know, I learned a lesson. That's my personal guitar. And you'll never see where the cracks are in it. I hit them really well. Uh, and they are sealed. Trust me, they've been super glued like crazy but you're not, not trying to make another one out of that same kind of wood are you i would 
again, I'm stubborn. I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> I know how, I know what I'd be getting into. And yes, I would still do it again. Oh my God, that's awesome. I mean, I've got stuff like this here. These are caps. That'll be one piece caps. That's about half inch, one solid piece ambrosia maple. So just some really beautiful. That's maple. gonna be a pretty guitar. Yeah, that's uh, that's how all these start. This was uh, one of my other teardrop series here. That's one solid piece, flamed ambrosia maple. So, and it, where is is that native to Mississippi, or you get that from oh, no, your no, species I'm, guy? I have woods providers that I source wood from all over the country. And it just depends on whatever I see that they have in stock. I'll order it. If it's something local, I'll get it. But um, yeah, I'm big on checking out what my providers have in stock and I just order. You never know when you're going to want to build something or what you're going to want to build, at least if you're my mindset. So I would just stock up on a bunch of lumber all at once, just real pretty lumber, stuff that I knew eventually I would use. And I've amassed this pretty ginormous stockpile of raw materials to work with. So I haven't had to buy lumber in quite a while for these builds. Cause I just over the years acquired so much. And uh, it's really nice having that in your back pocket. Now I'm at the point where it's like, oh, I've built so many of these. I need to start ramping up and getting some more real pretty woods. And I'm starting to reach out to my providers again. And uh, it's actually pretty, it's good. It's great for me, not great for them that COVID has kind of put a, you know, a damper on everybody's business and uh, they're selling a lot of this fancy lumber for a lot more affordable prices right now just to keep business going. So at some point soon, I'm going to place a big order for a lot more lumber and just stock up again. But I mean, oh. you'll drop seven or $8,000 like it's nothing on lumber. But that would be the time to, to buy it, right? That's buy exactly right. Yeah, that's why I say it's great for me, not so great for the... Uh, the provider so kind of going off of your your geek mentality do you look when you're coming up with what guitar do i want to build next mm -hmm. do you kind of have wood that speaks to you saying this would be a good one for this guitar at this point in time that's a very good question in fact you're the only person that's ever asked me that Yes, that is exactly how it works. I look at what I have in stock or if it's something in, that I have in my mind, a certain image, certain grain pattern that I'm looking for, it's exactly how I do it. I'll go, again, you also have to think of the tonal characteristics of the wood. So you want it to sound a certain way and every type of wood reacts to the other type of wood that's adjoining it in different ways. Uh, perfect example, like mahogany is a very warm wood, tonally. So if you put mahogany and maple together, you essentially have a Les Paul standard. So it's mahogany body, little maple cap, and uh, maple neck, or not maple neck, a uh, rosewood fretboard, and then like a walnut neck or a mahogany neck is typically a Les Paul standard. So that's the tone that you're gonna get roughly out of those woods, depending on the pickup. So that's how I kind of started building. And then it just progressed. It's like, okay, well now I know how mahogany and maple work together. Let's try sapelli and whatever. And then of course you end up like this one that's black walnut and canary wood, just off the wall stuff. And as you kind of learn different woods, you get to just use some really cool stuff. And that's exactly what I do. I take a look at what I've got in stock and I'm like, 
this would look fantastic with this, with this finish, and it would sound like X. And that's how we do it. When I reached out, um, actually, Tony reached out to me. I take that back. Um, they custom wound some pickups for me that, that are in this guitar. The first time I'd ever used Warp Core pickups. And I'm a huge DiMarzio fan, right? I'm, that's what I've always used. Well, these well at least you were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, well, I mean, I always will be to some degree, but that's, again, when you're matching tone with woods and pickups, you have to know what you're playing with. Well, this was my first shot with Warp Core. And I mean, they are fantastic pickups. These are, they're amazing. So I'm, I'm loving this build right here. And I built this guitar specifically around the specs that they gave me for those pickups. So, and it worked out great. So the Tone Woods worked out exactly for what they were building me. So yeah, it's kind of crazy to say you built a guitar around pickups, but that's exactly what I did in this case. Well, but you kind of look at it, there are certain things that you want to highlight, right? Or there are certain things you can start with one thing and you go from there. So, oh, yeah. you know, you can start with your wood species and go from there, mm -hmm. or it's just a different perspective and a different angle of where you begin. That's it. I mean, again, we were talking about pickups. They gave me, I, I told them what I wanted out of them. And I knew about what the output would be based off of the stuff that I was telling them that I wanted them to build. And from there, I just matched the woods that I knew would work with the, the output from the pickups. And as soon as I got the pickups, I finished the build, put them in it, and lo and behold, it worked perfectly together. So yeah, it's uh, it's just fun being able to do stuff like that as a builder. It's like, well, I mean, you got a blank canvas. I mean, I'm looking at eight pieces of that awesome maple sitting right here beside me in the man cave, and I know what they're going to be. Right now, they're just boards, you know, nothing to them. But I know eventually they're going to be hanging on the wall or someone's wall, and be able to plug them in and play them. So, yeah, it's it's just incredible. Uh, I get a lot of joy out of watching other people play my guitars. Um, again, I'm not the best guitarist in the world. I can hold my own decently with rhythm. I don't play lead. I'm not a lead guitarist. Um, well, not everybody can be, right? And not everybody wants to be. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it takes so much dedication and time to really... I believe certain people have a God-given talent with instruments, um, but I believe anyone can play guitar. I believe anyone can get fairly good at guitar. Um, it, it is one of those instruments that's like, yeah, some people are born with the ability to just take it to a whole new level, yet anyone can kind of feel that, you know, below to medium range with playability with guitar. I think anyone can reach that. It's just some exceptional people, I believe firmly are just like, oh my God, it just clicks, you know, savant type click. Yeah. And, uh, but everybody else can still fill in. Guitar is one of the instruments people can do that with. And I kind of fall into that kind of lower category with playing. <laughs> but uh, that's only because I don't take the time to dedicate to playing. I'm always in the shop building. Yeah, and, but your uh, gift to guitars isn't in the playing. It's in the creating. Exactly. So I get my joy from watching awesome musicians play my instruments. That's where I could just sit back all night and watch them play my builds and not even play with them. Um, so Although what, I do like to play. What was your feeling the first time you sold a guitar and somebody was so excited to play it and they had to show it off to you? Oh, what wow. was that like? Um, I, it's undescribable. Baby, go. Sorry, my daughter. Hey, it's all good. Um, 
Yeah, the the first time I watched um, was right here in the man cave, actually. After my first build, I built for a guy named Trey Miller. And uh, yeah, watching him play his signature model that I built for him was, I can't even describe it. Like that's all the, all the years of tinkering and then slowly getting into building um, and then seeing it all kind of come together. And this is his guitar that I designed for him. It's his signature model guitar. There's only one of them in the world. I haven't, I haven't even built one similar to it. It's its own thing. And uh, watching him play it now, he's gigged with it for about the last three years. Um, played some ginormous shows with it in the country music industry. And I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's hard to put into words. It's, it's, I can't put it into words. It's just amazing. It's just a feeling that, I mean, whatever your passion is in life, I mean, imagine being at the, the peak of it. That's it. That's the feeling. I can't put it any other way, you know? So. And do you have that same or similar feeling as each one of your creations goes out to its new owner and they, oh, get absolutely. To, they get to play it and they get the joy? When, when I get that feedback from people that buy them from me, um, that it's like that feeling every time. So it's, it's almost like a high that you keep chasing. And uh, yeah, I, again, I can't describe the feeling. It's just amazing. Whenever you get that feedback from the people that are buying these from you, of course, it's, you got to make a living. So obviously it's great to sell them. But for me, the, the biggest payoff is, again, when I get that feedback from them, they plug it in for the first time or they shoot me a video or FaceTime with me and I get to watch them play it. And just that look on their face, it's like, holy cow, this is a custom guitar. You know, most folks have off the shelf guitars. I, mean, I still have off the shelf guitars that I collect. They don't get played anymore. They're just collectors at this point because um, I love playing the ones that I built. I'd say and that. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, if someone else built what's behind me, I'd still say the same thing. I'd be like, holy cow, this is amazing. And I'd just play that. So fortunately for me, I'm the one that built them. I get to just play them anytime I want. So, and then friends come over and a good buddy of mine, Noah Bridges, uh, he plays, he comes over all the time. In fact, he's dating my niece. So I see him way more than I'd like to sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But no, oh, he, probably uh, not. <laughs> no, he, he's on a lot of my videos actually on my Instagram account. And uh, well, and what is your Instagram account? Geek it's at geeks, at geeks for guitars. Yeah, it's uh, okay. I held that up so they could take a screenshot if they wanted to. But yep, whoever's mm -hmm. watching this will have it. Yeah, at geeks number four guitars. And uh, yeah, I've got a lot of my customs on there, not all of them, but most of them are on there. And uh, I do post videos. Um, I'm kind of new to this whole social media thing. I don't have a Facebook. Uh, I literally just have an Instagram and it's just to kind of get my guitars out there. In fact, I think I started it back in April of last year, my Instagram. So it's, it's new to me. I just post stuff that I like to build, post videos of people playing them. And uh, I do join in on some of the videos and play as well. Not very many. <laughs> You'd rather but, uh, have watched them enjoy your your creations, I suppose, huh? That's it. Yeah, it's uh, I, again Noah comes by all the time, so he's such a great guitarist. Honestly, he's just when he grabs them and plays, I'm like, man, you know, in a video, you, I'm I'm using this. This is awesome. So just keep playing, and I'll sit there and just cut little videos and post them. I'm like, all right, Noah Bridges is playing again, <laughs> and uh, 
it's really cool to no bridges is in the house that's it i mean i get to sit back and just watch this dude shred on stuff that i built i mean it was just again it started off like that and then a body you know it's it's amazing seeing it come from that to you know something you can so that it's just it's amazing so that's to me you get so much gratification out of that you know and just validation watching folks play your build so i don't know to me this is my i hope this is the last fork in the road for me for what i want to do as a career for the rest of my life i mean they, they say if you enjoy your work you never work a day in your life well pretty much i think i'm finally to that point where i've done all these different things and you take little bits of each thing and it all came together to this and yeah, I think I found a nice little niche in life that I might be able to just fit in. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the possibilities that are that are coming up for me. Okay, so with all of the forks that you've taken in the road of your life so far, if you had to go back and have a conversation with your 16-year-old emancipated self. Oh, wow. What would you tell your 16-year-old <clears throat> version of you? What advice would you uh, give you? Well, I always worked hard, so it wouldn't be anything like that. I guess it would be save more, um, invest in Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this this whole little cryptocurrency thing, that's exactly right. Bitcoin, I think you could get for a dollar or two back then. Yeah, about a couple of hundred of those. Um, I don't know. I mean, that, that's all the kind of jokingly stuff. But realistically, I'd just tell myself to, you know, try and be a work smarter, not quite as hard as I did. Um, there's many things I could have done along the way probably to, to get where I'm at now, maybe a little sooner. Um, back then it was all just manual labor uh which i i firmly believe is just part of what i had to go through coming up um but i, I don't know I, it's, that's a tough question i mean what would anyone tell their 16 year old self um obviously jokingly we can talk about investments and stuff like that but honestly i think uh just being smarter with my money from a young age uh would be a huge thing because it set me up better in the long term but again, thinking back at that time, I mean, I barely made enough to get by. So it's like, what do you really tell that person that was already trying to do the best that they could at the time? You know, I ended up going and getting my GED when I was 22, um, put myself through college twice. I mean, I kind of, I did everything I needed to do. Um, so really it's kind of, that's a tough question to answer, to be honest. I don't know what I would tell myself. Um, just keep going after it, I guess. Keep chasing dreams. That's pretty I much think that's great advice. Don't be afraid and follow your dreams, follow your passion. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I've done that my whole life. You just you keep chasing that next step, and eventually you're going to get somewhere where it's like right now, for me in particular, it's I'm home. This is where I want to be. You know, I'm, I'm building amazing guitars that I mean, I, I would have known that when I was 16. That's what I was going to end up doing. You know, it's just by happenstance, that's where I wound up. And, I love it. I mean, well, I think about what you've what you've told me this evening and the different paths in your life. I can see how each of those steps 
truly have culminated into what you're doing now. You had oh, the construction absolutely. to figure out how to deal with building things and using the wood and the tools and then going to gunsmithing school, how to refine different materials to make a final product. Then going to Home Depot and you get the retail part and selling. And then even on the rigs, you have your logistics and your scheduling and making sure that everything comes together. It's all full circle. And now you do it all. That's it. Yeah, it's again, it's building blocks in life. That's the way I look at things. I mean, I tell my kids that all the time. I'm like, look, you don't know how much you're learning right now at this age. You're already building your future self right now. Absolutely. And they can't really grasp that, of course. I don't expect them to, but I still want to tell them that. So they always have that in the back of their mind. Wait, dad told me this, you know, and, and eventually one day it's going to click and they're going to say, oh, wow, maybe he was right. You know, hopefully. Well, at one course, point, they're my kids, they're stubborn. So. <laughs> after their teen years, they'll probably say, and it might be when they're in their thirties or forties, they open their mouth and dad comes out. Yeah, I firmly believe my oldest is going to be that. She is just like me. Yeah. I'll God help the world. Tony's already doing that. Jeez, I opened my mouth and dad came out. I sound just like dad and it drives him crazy. I'm like, well, you didn't learn it far from home, love. Yeah, the apple didn't fall very far, did it? <laughs> nope. It wasn't a very tall tree for that apple to fall off of. There you go. So with all of your your shoes that you've worn and, and miles that you've traveled. How do you define success? Ooh. I'd, I'd have to say it's different for everyone, I guess. Uh, my definition of success, I guess, is just being able to chase your dreams and actually not just chase them, I guess the, the best way to put it would be actively pursue your dreams. And to me, that's success. If you're doing what you are passionate about, um, like right now, I mean, finances are rough right now. I mean, I went from making killer money offshore to, yes, I could have reached out to people in Houston office and probably gone and caught a job or two here and there just randomly, you know, once a month or whatever, or you deep dive into your passion and you just say, okay, this is it. I'm finally making that, that break from the oil industry and I'm chasing this exclusively, which is what I've done. And uh, as hard as it is financially sometimes, it's, to me, I feel more success in this than I ever did with, and I had a very successful logistics company for, for many years. It was, it was great. Um, but I feel more success in life overall doing this. And I feel like if I keep paying my dues, so to speak, and just make it through these trying times that hey, the sky's the limit. I mean, it, with anybody that's got a half a brain in their head, they're going to realize, especially going from something like that to, to taking this giant leap, that if you're driven enough, you're going to make it no matter what. I mean, that's been in my mind. If, if you're tenacious and, and I, I know I am, you're going to make it. You just got to pursue it don't just chase it, just actively pursue it. Do whatever it is that you're passionate about. Don't listen to the naysayers. They're just, you know, they're, they're just noise. And if you pursue it and you, you've got a decent mind about you, you're going to make it. And right now I'm going through those 
tough times where it's like you only sell one guitar a month or maybe if you're lucky you get two orders at once and you know they pay you half up front you can order all the parts and maybe pay a few bills and then you know the other half when you ship it i mean i'm in that weird spot right now where it's like you know you go from making 20 grand a month to making who knows you know and uh i still feel more successful doing this though i know it's kind of all around your question but it's it's hard to put into words the definition my definition of success because it's it's all over the place really it's just doing what you want to do in life and realizing we only got one life to live so why not live it to your personal fullest and to me it happens to be guitars for someone else it could be knitting it could be painting it could be sculpt whatever you know working on cars whatever it is just pursue it you know don't just chase it actively pursue it and if you're in a job that you're happy with quote unquote right now and you're making bills great doesn't mean you have to stop pursuing your dream because eventually you'll be able to make that switch over as well and uh mine was kind of forced upon me i mean with the oil field with covid it's it was just like all right after august you're breaking ties anyway again i could have reached out and maybe gone worked a week or two here and there spread abroad uh the entire gulf of mexico but do you really want to do that if you're really trying to sever ties and, and pursue your dream or do you want to just go on and sever it and be done with it and that's what i'm doing so uh it's scary i mean it's there's success is a scary thing i think in some ways because you're going to take that leap of faith whether you want to do it or not inevitably that's going to happen um especially if you've got a family i mean i'm a sole provider with my family I don't, my wife is a stay-at-home mom so it's like well, you better have a strong woman with you if you're a man at that point she better be strong and she better back you 100 because if not you're stuck in the oil field you know what i mean for for example yeah and uh when i told her what i was doing she was like, well, you know, we come from nothing because like my first date with my wife, I told her I had $13 in my account. I couldn't even take her out to eat. <laughs> I was out and open with her. I was like, hey, look, I could cook you dinner. I just, I think I had like a $75 a month budget for food when I was in college in Denver. And I just bought groceries and I had like $13 for gas when I needed to top off again. I was like, I can take you to my place and I can cook you dinner. And I was like, I'm not going to try anything first date, but that's so my wife knew me when I had nothing. So yeah, she wasn't a money, you know, money hungry woman because I didn't have any. So that's what we did. My first date took her back to the apartment. And Which maker? Spaghetti. That's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great date. It was a Halloween night back in two thousand and eight, uh, and and then you just kept on going from there. That's it. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, all that said you know like i said you got to have a strong woman or strong partner in general if you're gonna take that leap if you're not you know on your own if you're solo it's much easier i'm sure because you could just say oh heck with everything and do it but in my case not so much you know you you learn a certain lifestyle and that's out the window and now it's like well i don't even know what my lifestyle is anymore <laughs> well, you know, one of the things Tony Robbins says is life happens for you, not to you. And if one of the things that you wanted to pursue was your passion in guitars, you were given that opportunity that you didn't have to try to decide, am I going to leave the oil rigs or not? Yeah. 
right? Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely happened for me. That's right. And I can thoroughly relate to, granted, it wasn't the, the big disparity in income, but I had a decent income at a small firm and it was 2004 and I was completely miserable. And I was almost divorced because I didn't take it out on my partners. I took it out on my husband and Tony, who wasn't quite two. And then his little brother was six months old. So Mac really didn't get the brunt of it, but my husband did. And Tony knew that mom had a short fuse. Oh, yeah. So when we went on on our own, I went from a guaranteed income in an established firm to not knowing who was going to follow me and if I was going to have any files in my office. So yeah. my income dropped not quite in half. So I know yours dropped significantly more than in half. Oh, yeah. But like you, I've been the sole breadwinner and I had two babies at home, one who had just gone through open heart surgery. So failure was not an option. Not even close. And you do what you got to do. And when you have the determination, you have the drive, you have the passion and the gift, the universe will provide. And it sounds like you have more people that are coming and being interested in your guitars and wanting custom made geeks for guitars, guitars. That's, that's what's happening right now. And I'm hoping that it just keeps going and going and going. Hope not. That's, it uh, will. Yeah. I mean, I, I do my due diligence as well. I reach out to people. Um, I've got a few of my guitars and some really well-established players hands right now all over the country i just sent them off um like right now a guy named jake morelli's got uh one of my actually my very first thin line teardrop that i built and uh i mean he's played with some amazing people bruno mars and uh ed sheeran the village people the roots um he's played with just killer bands and uh killer artists in general and uh yeah he's got one of my custom builds right now he's I wonder if I'm going to get it back, to be honest, but no, he didn't all kidding aside. He's, he's holding on to it for about another month. He's moving his, uh, he has a recording studio in, uh, Philadelphia and he's moving to a new recording studio and wants to cut, I guess, cut an album with it. He's playing it on some tracks. So, uh, I was like, yeah, just hold on to it. I know it's in good hands and I'll get it back at some point. That's when you but, say, hold on to it, but make sure you make everybody aware that it's one of my custom guitars oh he will absolutely do that <laughs> and i know i know he's going to order a custom one from me of course he has virtually no incentive to do that currently because he's holding one of my customs so i know as soon as he has to you know forfeit that he's gonna well maybe he'll decide one. that he wants to keep it and he'll buy it well that's a touchy subject on that one that's my prototype i'm oh. keeping all my prototypes <laughs> They might, I might send them out and let people play them. That's fine. But, but those are yours. They come home. That's it. They, yeah. it. In the neck pocket, underneath the neck where it meets the body, I sign prototype number one and put my date and my signature on it. And what's the name of that guitar? 
I haven't named that one yet, actually. I know. Well, I haven't really? had it long enough. That that's that one in particular has been gone more than it's been home from day one. I guess like, I just figured it would have gotten a name when it was born. Before no, it went out the door. Um, I typically have to play them for a while and 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 then the name comes to you. In particular, it's it's just been out all over the country. It's been in Nashville. Three different people played it in Nashville for a while. Uh, as soon as I got it built, um, one of my buddies down here, Eric Woolard, has a recording studio here in Jackson. He borrowed it for a while and played and cut a really cool album, or not album, but song track with it. And uh, as soon as I got it back there, it went to Nashville. When it came back from Nashville, it went up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So it's like, one of these days I'll get it back and I'll name it. But I haven't had as much time on it as any of these other people. So, you know, what little bit of time it's been here, it's like, uh, one day it'll get a name. Right now it's just the the brotherhood of the traveling guitars, I guess. It's just going all over. It's well, going to have a heck of a story to tell, though. That guitar I was going to say, by the time you get it back, it's going to be a teenager. Well, I mean, it's it's been played by some really amazing artists. So, I mean, that guitar really will have some awesome stories to tell. It's been it's really well-traveled already. And it's just it's going to continue to be a well-traveled guitar. So let me ask you this. Do you keep a log of its travels? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, everywhere it goes, I know where it's been, and I don't have to jot it down. I mean, I've got it in my mind, but yeah, absolutely, I know everywhere it's been. I should write that down though. That's a really good thing to do. Cause yeah, I'm getting old. You know how that goes. I might, I might be. Oh, you're a misremembering baby, one day. <laughs> well, I'm pushing forty. I'm this close. Still a baby. But it's just kind of one of those where it's no different than jotting down crazy things that our kids say. Oh yeah. I, I have a journal that if the boys said something really kind of wacky when they were little, I would just open up my notebook and date it and jot it down. And every once in a while I'll go back through it because I was sure I would never forget that expression. And I go back and I start reading these and I'm like, Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yep, but you wrote it down. That's but I wrote call. it down. I, I will do that. With, with this one in particular, it's been traveled so much. Yeah, I will absolutely do that. Write down who had it and where. Well, and then those are great stories for your girls too. And oh, especially yeah. when you keep the prototypes, you got the little history or have it has its own journal to yeah, go along with it. it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a really good idea. I mean, I know who all's played it, but they wouldn't know if anything happened to me. That's a really good idea. They wouldn't have a clue. See, that's what this whole meeting was about, right? You're there. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely do that. It's a good idea. So, how do you motivate yourself? I know you have the wood and stuff talks to you for the next guitar that you're going to build, and you get up every morning to create. How do you motivate yourself? Uh, really, again, that's all about just trying to succeed with this business, um, succeed in life in general. I mean, I'm, again, sole provider. So for me, motivation comes easy because the kids have to eat. You know, we have to have a roof over our heads. So it's really good motivator, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you're either the type of person that's like, eh, I'm not going to do anything heck with it. Or you understand really quickly, you've got a wife, two kids and a house and everything else. You just got to make it. 
So my motivation right now is exactly that, just trying to survive, pay bills, um, grow this company into something I can be proud of on a larger scale and, uh, and see where it goes. Right? That's where I'm at. I mean, my motivation is real easy at this point. So. <laughs> and it sounds like you've had some challenging times. You know, oh, starting, and we all have. What is one difficult experience that actually turned out to be a true blessing in your life? Mm, I, I would have to say making the jump initially from retail to going offshore because so many doors were opened at that time. Um, and it was rough. It was really rough. I mean, you think about it, you're starting with a had a young wife and a really young daughter. And now you're going from being home every night, even though you're working crazy hours in retail, but at least you were home. Now you're going to, you know, at that point I worked for a company when I first started in the oil industry and you're gone two weeks a month. Um, I was again, chasing that bigger dream in life, trying to get to wherever at the time I didn't know, I just knew it was a step in the right direction to, to get where I wanted to be. So I think that actually was probably the first real major jump that I was, you don't know where you're going to fall, right? You're just making a leap. And what it did though, is a little over a year, I was roused about in the roughneck and then very quickly, I mean, in the oil industry, that's really quick going from roused about to roughneck in three months and then roughnecking and starting my logistics company all within about a year and two months. Um, so it all kind of just opened up these doors. I mean, you go from really good money to start out offshore, it's fairly decent money. And then you go to just crazy money when you're your own company doing it. And it's the doors in which were open during that process are what allowed me to be able to do what I'm doing now. Um, I bought a lot of my equipment. I bought a lot of lumber. I bought a lot of, I mean, it's just, just crazy how it all works out like we were talking about earlier. I think that was probably that that roughest transition was getting used to being away from home and then on the flip side of that coin when you've been out long enough it's like well now i'm tired of being away from home it's you're always tired of it but at some point you you find that point where you're like all right I had no enough more. yeah I'm no done. More. and again that's part of severing those ties it's like well do you really want to go back out there and be away from home again or do you just want to keep pursuing what you really want to do and uh i'm kind of it's, it's strange that was that first part of that to answer your question and i'm kind of back in it again now if you think about it mm -hmm. um making that big leap i mean that's, that's scary that's a that's a big part of my life where it's like uh, i'm back to that same spot like when i first went offshore i'm, I'm doing that again now with guitars it's uh, it's kind of a I catch 22, I guess, to answer your question. I'm in that spot that I was in there now. I'm, I'm right back. I came but full it, circle, I guess. And it's, it's a leap of faith, but look at the where you elevated yourself to when you took that first leap. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I kept climbing really quickly. Absolutely. And now you you elevated again to from, you know, you were your own boss making good money but dependent on somebody else yet oh yeah depending to, on oil prices that's crazy depending on other countries yeah um to now taking the leap you're still your own boss 
but now you're at the level where you're pursuing your passion and your dream. That's it. And I just got to get the, get back up to where I was financially or hopefully way exceed that. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of at the, the building blocks of this right now. I'm, I'm right there at the base, I'm getting some really good recognition, starting to get more custom orders in. So, I mean, I understand it's not going to be an overnight process. Um, which is why I'm growing it the way I'm growing it, sending out guitars to people that I just want them to play them and give me cool reviews and, you know, good feedback. And eventually it's just, you build that clientele from that kind of a personable level and just sending out guitars to try out. And they come back to you whenever they come back to you. It's that kind of stuff. I, I believe firmly that it's like the old school ways of going in and shaking someone's hand and getting a job interview in person mm-hmm. versus the having to fill out online type thing. And uh, I kind of want to take that same approach with guitar building. I want to send out some guitars and let people try them. Um, I think we've lost a lot of things with technology over the years. You know, when I was coming up as a kid, you got a job by shaking someone's hand and there were paper applications if you even had to fill one out. Nine times out of 10, you go in, do what I did. Construction is like, all right, yeah, you're hired. Let's go grab a hammer. You know, what, you got your tool belt with you? Let's start today. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh I think we kind of miss out on a lot of that just personal aspect in life with the whole digital age that we're in now. So I want to kind of bring some of that in if I can um, with my custom guitar. I just want to send them out to certain people and try them out. And, uh, you know, no strings attached. If you order one, great. If you don't, hey, you got to play a cool custom, send it back to me. I'll send it out to someone else down the road. And uh, I think I'm going to get a little further. It may be a little slower, but I'll get a little further in life doing that, I believe than just trying to punch out, you know, numbers, you know, X amount of guitars per month right now when nobody really knows who I am, uh, being a new builder on the block, you know. Um, so, yeah, you want to build that foundation. I've slowly been building that foundation, I believe, for the last good little while now. And I, I think that eventually that's going to become a really big structure. You know, start with a nice foundation to build from. That's what I'm trying to do. And uh Part of me wishes financially it was a little quicker, but I'm not going to rush it. It is what it is. We'll make it through the struggles. I mean, everybody struggles at some point. I'm just back to struggling again. And Slow we're, and steady wins the race, though. That's what they say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you come from nothing like I do, it's it's okay going back there and starting over. At least it's this time I'm starting over with something that I'm really passionate about. So I feel like, again, I'm paying my dues all over again. But it's for the greater good in this case. But so. you're starting over from a different plane. Oh, yeah. I mean, mentally, everything, it's completely different this time. This is, uh, for me, this is an end all be all. This is where I want to be. This is not just a, okay, I'm still chasing God knows what, but inevitably I'm going to find that God knows what. Well, this is that. I finally found it and I'm actively engaged in it um, full time. So it's uh, no longer having to wonder what it is that I'm chasing mentally because you know, everybody I'm sure has their own dreams that they chase. You don't really know what they are. At least I didn't until this came along years ago. And it's like, all right, well, might be able to do something with this. Let me build your first one for someone as a, a signature model. I mean, of course, like we were talking about, everything kind of comes together. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, I can actually do this as a business. And then here we are. So, and that's wow, I am doing this as a business. Exactly right. It's like, all right, um, I guess this is happening. So you just chase it and yeah, 
I'm, I'm excited. It's, it's nerve wracking. It's uh, it's exciting. You, it's a mixed bag of emotions. It's, it's hard to explain, but it's a uh, overall, it's extremely good. It's a, no matter what the emotions are, you know, here today, tomorrow. Overall, it's just a, a fantastic feeling. So I'm excited. I don't know what's going to happen, how big it's going to get, but I'm just happy to put smiles on people's faces with custom guitars. Honestly, that's that's at the end of the day all I really want uh, to pay bills, of course. But well, that's see the smiles. that's kind of the byproduct. <laughs> yeah, you hope it is. <laughs> well, I I believe that when you're when you do something because you're passionate about it. And it's what you want to do rather than doing it for the money. Then it's going to happen. Oh, but if yeah. you're chasing the dollar, you're always going to be chasing the dollar and you're not going to be feeling fulfilled. Yeah, I mean, I, I firmly believe that the two go hand in hand. Obviously, like you say, if you're passionate about it enough, and you've got that niche in a market. I mean, that's obviously nowadays you have to find a niche. Um, I can't compete with Fender. I can't compete with Gibson. Um, but you're not them. That's exactly right. I'm doing my own thing and I'm creative enough to come up with a design that hasn't been done. And, uh, and you won't see another teardrop guitar. It's fine. And the cool thing is if you find that niche and you're passionate enough about it and you're, I mean, I hate to say this, but smart enough to actively pursue it and push it um, the right way um don't get too big for your britches too quick in other words um i think i think it's all going to work out just fine um if i pushed it too fast right now which i could do then all i'm doing is set myself up for failure because i couldn't produce the amount that i would be getting orders for at that point with doing them all by hand so i'm kind of it's a really delicate balance right now with trying to get enough orders in to just maintain bills versus over doing it and not being able to produce quick enough to keep customers happy. Um, so right now I'm saving money to get larger equipment that would just make my production levels go up drastically um, while maintaining the same standards. So that's that's what I'm doing now is saving up for more equipment that I need to, to ramp production up in the correct way. So yeah, I'm just going to keep it as low as I can right now to be able to produce them all by hand and save for equipment that I need and continue going. I mean, it's all just baby steps. Hey, little bit at a time. And all of a sudden you look back and it's been huge leaps. That's it. Well, I bought a lot of equipment. The next few pieces are about 38,000 each. So I need to save some serious pennies. When I was offshore, I would have been like, all right, that's 38 let's grand. Just sign. Let's, let's we'll make a couple of months offshore and we're good. And now it's like, oh, wow, $38,000. That's a uh, huge money again. So, yeah, I need a, a couple of decent sized pieces of equipment, but that's just going to make everything work so much more efficiently. So it's it's well worth the money. I just got to do it. Um, so do you have a goal in mind of how many guitars you want to sell per year? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I'm huge into the custom side of it. Um, if I ramped it up really big, I would obviously have to have a base model for selling through other vendors. Um, and I've been going over that with a potential partner of mine, um, doing a base model, kind of a middle tier, um, starting with the teardrop. I have many other awesome models in my head that I'm doing prototypes of now that have never been done before either. So I know inevitably I'm going to 
ramp production up. I just don't know to what extent yet. Um, again, a lot of that's factored in with the equipment that I need. Um, a huge facility, if I'm really going to ramp production up, I'd like to be around 100 guitars a month at some point, um, 150, whatever I can comfortably do. That said, that would be a separate department for the base models if I choose to go that route. Part of me wants to do nothing but customs my whole life. Um, but that's going to be a pretty limited number of people that want to spend $5,000 and up on a guitar. Um, there's tons of people that'll do it, but you're limiting your clientele versus having a, a base model that starts around the $2,000 mark for a really nice custom. Um, and then goes up from there. So, I mean, my end goal is to just build guitars wherever that falls. I mean, I've got multiple little business plans put together for each route that I might end up wanting to take. If I want to blow it up huge, I've got a plan in place for that. However, I would need the facility, much more equipment, and much more personnel to make it happen. But there is a game plan in place. I've been drawing up business plans for each route that I want to take. And uh, I don't know. It's uh, We'll see where we fall <laughs> with, my, with my, my business partner that I'm – we haven't signed paperwork yet, but uh, it's, it's going to happen. We're uh, – we're actively in talks and we want to see, I know he's from a huge corporate mindset and he's going to want to just ramp production up massively and be the next Fender or be the next Gibson. And uh, we can make that happen if we have the right pieces in place. But the other part of me is like, well, do you want to just do that or do just crazy cool custom guitars more of a one-off, which I think we can have our cake and eat it too if we do it right. I'll still have a custom department and a more base department. So that's kind of, I'm in talks right now and it's kind of, we're in limbo with it. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together though. It'll be fun. And it, it is, it's really fun thinking about all the possibilities. I mean, even if I do nothing, but just build three or four custom guitars a month, it's going to be fantastic either way. So, I mean, it's a win either way in my book. Awesome. So I, I appreciate your time and this has really been fascinating. So I got one final question for you. Sure. If you could just snap your fingers and didn't have to do any work to make this, to make it happen, what's one thing that you would change about today's society? Oh, wow. Um, today's society in general. Honestly, I think that uh, with everything that's gone down over the last couple of years, I believe overall, People are trying to be just better people. At least I feel that way. I mean, you can listen to the news media all you want, but if you're just face-to-face -face with people, I mean, generally, I think people are just wanting to be better overall. I mean, love thy neighbor, right? Uh, that sort of mindset. I, I get that everywhere I go. It's like, I'm from the South, and we were pretty notorious for being, you know, pretty tight-knit people. I mean, we don't meet a stranger. We say to everybody. And uh, which was a big sh culture shock going up to the northern states. I say hey to people, they're like, oh, what do you want? You know, but uh, to me, it's just I say hey to everybody. Well, I, you kind of get a lot of that these days. So, I mean, I try and steer clear of, you know, that part of social media or news in general, other than weather. Basically, I try and steer clear of most of it. I hit the high points and kind of see where we're at as a, a country overall. I kind of want to hit the high points, but other than that, I just kind of stay away. I think, generally speaking, people just want to be good people now. I mean, more than ever, 
they just want to come together and just be people. I mean, no matter who you are, what your ethnicity is, whatever your race, religion, people are just people. People just get along better, you know, just, just come together. We're people. Be nice so, and, and love one another, right? Love, yeah, well, I mean, love your neighbor. Treat yeah, I mean, your neighbor you, as yourself. You've always got a bad apple in the bunch, right? So, you know, don't focus on the bad apples. Just focus on the fact that people are people. You're going to have the bad apples. You're going to have the awesome people. You're going to have the in-between people. Just people. Just be people. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if it ever happens. But I try and do that. I mean, I'm, I like people. I love people. I get along with just about anyone I meet. So it's, uh, I feel like if, if most people were that way mentally, then, I mean, yeah, sure, I have rough days and sometimes people make me mad. They're driving and it's like some old grandpa I'm driving behind, whatever the fact may be. But I mean, it's no different than anyone else. We're all just people. But generally speaking, again, I think if, if people as a society would just put their differences apart, they'll quit focusing on the negativity and just, Again, understand we have one life to live. So all this bickering you're doing now, you're wasting time. Yeah. You know, pursue your passion. You know, be the best you you can be, and and let the other stuff kind of go. I hate to say that, and I'd probably catch flack for it from certain groups or people or whatever. But if you hold a grudge, you're just holding a grudge. You know, live life, move on. Whatever the grudge may be, whatever that negativity is in your life, if there's any way to let it go, let it go and move forward. The only way you're going to move forward in life, unless you want to stay stagnant, great. That's you. Be you. Again, be you. Whatever you want to do. You want to stay stagnant? Think about the past all the time? Go for it. Be you. I choose to try and think forward, think positive, and that's me. You know, I just want everybody to be them and try and be happy together. If we can all do that, life is good. Life is so much better when you ditch the negativity. It's not easy to do sometimes, right? I, I mean, even I struggle with it all the time. I mean, everybody does, but I mean, no one's perfect, but at least try, you know? Well, and who no. was it that said um, something along the lines of, and I know the quote's going to be wrong, but hating somebody and wanting them to die is like, you might as well drink the poison yourself because it's killing you more than it is them and i that's not the quote but it's along those lines that the more you I want to you're somebody else that. you're drinking the poison well yeah I mean, you're letting something eat you up that honestly the person you're thinking about more than likely is not stressing over the fact of what you're thinking about i mean you're, you're, you're the one tearing you're... yourself up yeah exactly. so yeah i mean if that's the case then yeah we're right back to where we were just be you be the best you and move forward well, Jason, I absolutely love how you are following your passion and hearing about your journey and the paths that you've taken has truly been inspiring. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And if you want to hear more stories about other people who are living their passion and following their dreams, check out Woman Warrior Lawyers, You and Your Life podcast. So James, James, I don't know where that came from. James. I don't go by that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand you go by Jason or Jay. Jay. <laughs> so I've been calling you the wrong thing all along. I've been calling oh, you your I, legal name, I but answer, not, not your name. To both. <laughs> when I'm in trouble, it's Jay at home. So I just stick with that because I always assume I'm always in trouble. <laughs> I highly doubt that. Although maybe now that you're home all the time, maybe you are. I don't know. 
<laughs> but I don't think it would be in trouble with your daughters because they have eyes for daddy. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. No, it's it's been a great interview. I really appreciate it. This is really cool. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And I would love to do a, a second round as your business takes off and we kind of do a, a check-in and see where you're at. Sure. I'm, I'm all about it. That'd be fine. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.